Joe presents TKO together with 32 Red. Welcome to round three of TKO here on Joe together with 32 Reds. Very pleased to say our guest this week is the trainer and corner man uh, of James DeGale, of course, will clash with Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, at the O2 on Saturday night. Um, and I think I'm right in saying this is going to be a little bit more laid back than last week. I'm hoping it is anyway. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will Have be. Have you watched it? Yes, I've watched it, yeah. Good man. Um, um, yeah, it's pretty much what I expected, really. So, Jimmy Mack. Uh, do you know what Bannery is? <laughs> nah. Well, you no, do really. now. I don't. Nah. I, was, I was planning on looking to see what it meant, but I never, never well, got well, around binary to it. Well, binary is just if you've got a yes, no answer to, oh, okay. to something. So, Thank if you. I go, how are, you, how are you feeling? That's not binary. But if I said, are you feeling good? That's a binary. That's binary. Okay. Thank you. You good? Yeah. Good then. Um, also, Carl, um, happy birthday, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Happy birthday, mate. <laughs> 32 years young. Yeah. <sighs> young. Feeling good yeah. today? Yeah, I'm feeling alright, yeah. I'm feeling alright. I woke up with a bit of a dodgy ankle this morning. Have you? Yeah. That's what happened. I think the thing is, after 30, you wake up with aches and pains, and you just think, is this going to be permanent? Yeah. Nah, it's... Hopefully I don't not. know what. I don't know what's going on, but yeah. Um, alright. Jimmy, so, uh, I guess people know you primarily through your dad, Jim McDonnell mm. as well, senior. Right. Um, you, you're starting to get a reputation as a sort of a trainer in your own right. I think people are starting to realise that you contribute a lot to, to that corner. I can remember meeting you. I think it was... It was the Mohammedy fight at, for, Blue, for, Water. For, at Blue Water in yeah. Kent. So I think just after James had lost to George Groves, yeah. and you were in a period of about three or four years, sort of, I suppose they were like the wilderness years, weren't they, really? Because he did such a high profile for yeah. three years off the back of the Olympics. Then the loss to George, and suddenly you're in the midst of a rebuild that I'm guessing none of you really saw coming, did you? Yeah, was, I suppose, listen, when you lose a fight, especially because of the rivalry between the two boys, it was still early in their careers, but... There's always that rebuilding process, but it just felt like it was just going on and on and on. And it mm. was like, he was saying, oh, another one, what another one? And, and it was almost like it got to a point, I think he was, there was one, it, there was a time when he boxed uh, in um, oh, Bristol and James beat a fella called Kachikian and Badu Jack actually got knocked out that night by Derek, Derek Edwards. Edwards. Great and shot was, that was. They was going to fight in a final eliminator to to box for the WBC mm. of course where Badu Jack had lost straight away they was like right that means James is going straight in then for some reason I think they put Chavez Jr as mandatory mm. who just moved up from middleweight and it was just like are we ever going to get there yeah and um Obviously, after that, we, we went a different route with the IBF. Because around that time, 07, 08, you had the World Championships in 07. Yeah. You turned over around then, didn't you? 2009, I turned over. Right. So, obviously, the, the Beijing Olympics, James was, was the star to come out yeah. of Britain. So, a hell of a lot of momentum. And I think that, that momentum carries on for a couple of years after the Olympic cycle. Yeah. Well, he, yeah. he, was, he was a big name, and obviously, because of the Olympics and the Olympic gold medal in the UK, but he was also a big name in, in Ireland because he'd beaten Darren Sutherland, who... A lot of Irish people were expecting to maybe go on and, and, and win the medal. But mm. I think after the George Groves defeat, you have to give the Gale so much credit for... Was it? A, did he fight for a European title like after It was that? his very first fight the next after, fight. yeah. But, but he had... They were kind of blue water shows and, and travelling around. Not really big arenas. Mm. He'd done it for quite a while. And yeah. that, that's... A lot of people get fed up with that. I think, I think he deserves a lot of credit for, for carrying on and doing that. Yeah. 
It was interesting though because yep. th- that night, the certainly the first Blue Water show he did. I mean, there were sparse crowds. It was a very flat venue. But on that bill, it was Dylan White in his eighth fight, Jordan Gill, who's of course headlining his first show next weekend, yep. um, and Chris Eubank Jr. as well. That's right. And Mick Hennessy at that time actually had a very very good stable, Huey and Tyson Fury as well. But people sort of forget that I think because they were all. Have Channel Five shows, weren't they? That's right. But it wasn't. There wasn't a huge buzz around those guys. And James, of course, was was the headline act. Did you ever cross paths with with Junior at that time? Did you ever have any dealings with him? Because they did two or three um, shows where he was on the undercard of James, wasn't he? I think only sort of like weigh-ins and stuff. But there was never any sort of like words exchanged or anything. It just sort of like we kept ourselves to ourselves, and they kept themselves to themselves. There's never been sort of anything outside of the ring where they've sort of like clashed it's only just been sort of on social media really mm. it was interesting talking to him last week because mm. i can remember there was one point where we were talking about the fact that junior just hasn't really listened to him in the corner him or ronnie who hasn't really been allowed to have any yeah. input and there was a point where i'd asked him a question and he wasn't really answering it and i thought actually how the, the apple never falls that far from the tree and how can you expect your son to listen when your dad is someone that's just well, never really listened to him i got the impression last week that the dad was having a little bit of a dig at Junior, and then he kind of backtracked a little bit. But there's obviously issues there um, yeah. with, with him listening. I don't, I don't think he, he does listen. Um, if you look at his performances as well, how he performs, like the Groves fight, the tactics never really changed or anything with Eubank. And um, I suppose now that bringing this new trainer in, they'll be saying, well, he's got a game plan, he's going to listen. But Willie is the question. Yeah. It's it's when it's in the heat of battle as well. It's all right doing it in the gym when you know everything's relaxed and there's no pressure on. But when that first bell goes and the adrenaline's pumping and the atmosphere in the O2, will he listen? We're gonna. I'm sure we're gonna find out. Quite an interesting insight you've got because you've actually been in the corner in some of the major venues, like O2 and Wembley Stadium. Been out to the states as well. There's quite a big difference between being in the corner in the UK and being in the corner in the US. That's right, yeah. Every sort of state has got a different line of rules and regulations. So there was one, I can't remember where we was, we was, we was in, a, I think it was the Badu, the Badu Jack fight in New York. You couldn't even, like, rest your arm on the, on the side of the ring. Like, they was like, like, nope, sit back there. And it was almost like the ring was over there and you had to sit back here. So it was almost like you were sitting in the first row at ringside, whereas over here in the UK you're literally right in the corner and obviously the boys can hear you from, from, from the corner especially in a loud venue I mean the Irish fans are loud you need to be proximity close, close yeah, to yours I think because you, you want to be listening to New York is, is one that's been very strict I, I thought there and it was I remember it just being way over the top but um, yeah I think I think I think you need to be right up close and personal especially if you're a trainer you want to be sitting in the it is like the front row course, as you yeah. and mm. you're trying to give instructions and advice yeah. to the boys and obviously they can't they can't hear nothing. Yeah, can you hear? How much can you hear, Jamie, when you're in the midst? Yeah, you can. You can pick out. You can pick out things. You can't hear it all, but you 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 listen for. Well, I do. I listen for voices. I'm sure James is an experienced, very experienced guy, and I'm sure he does the same. But you can hear certain voices. I think you hear what you want to hear. Yeah. And the rest of the noise is just noise. But you listen. You'll be listening to yourself and and your dad as well. I'm I'm pretty sure. Mm. I guess you you try and tune your ear to the one voice amidst lot because there's a lot of shouting ringside. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you've learnt a lot from your dad? Of course, he's trained Alex Arthur, Takalu, Danny Williams. Um, how much input do you have, and how much do you guys talk when you're in the corner together? Yeah, we always sort of sort of talk when the round's going on or whatever, and we'll sort of half score it as well. Sort of like, nah, lost that round, or nah, 
he's won that round. And yeah. We just sort of like all discussing the corner, just sort of how the fight's going. If you're reading something, one of you might not have seen something that the other person's doing or whatever. And uh, yeah, we just sort of like always converse like in between rounds. But ultimately, he's the one who gives the advice to James like when he comes back to the corner. Mm, that's interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the sort of early years because... You, you're a couple of years younger than me, aren't you? 20... I'm 28 now. Right. So you would have been born, I guess, the year that your dad officially retired for the first time, I suppose. So he retired in 89. and Because there was one comeback fight in 98. That's right. And I was born in the 1990, but I don't even remember him boxing in 1998. Yeah. I was only, obviously, a kid. And I always sort of like knew, like, going to school and stuff, that some of the kids would say to me in the playgrounds, oh, your dad, like, you know was a professional boxer and I used to go yeah 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 I didn't think much of it mm. but then as I've got older um like they're, they're the parents and that especially he's known for like the, the big the big win over uh, Barry McGuigan mm. and uh I was saying earlier to someone like um one of my good mates now first time I went right around their house I was about 15 16 so it was like I was only in year 10 and I walked into the kitchen and his mum went to me rather than say hello she went you ruin, your, your dad ruined my, my holiday. <laughs> so I went, what? what are we talking about? She said, we were all massive Barry McGuigan fans. We got there like the day before, we went out to watch the fight, and for the rest of the week, we had an absolute stinker of an holiday. <laughs> so uh, since then, I've obviously known that he was yeah. done quite well as a, as a boxer. And yeah. Uh, and you, grew, you grew up with him. He wasn't, he didn't actually go straight from, from fighting to training fighters. Yeah. So there was a few years there. So he grew up, in your eyes, I guess, just as your dad and a normal guy. Yeah. And then he transitioned after, was it after that? that no, he, he tried to come back in 98. Yeah, it was just, almost like, again, like when the fighters are near the end of their career, they've still got that f- fire burning and they want to give it another go. And it's almost like you've got to do it for, your, for yourself. And then once you realise that I can't be doing this no more, then you sort of just go, right, I've got to accept this and just move on, move on to saying else. I think it's interesting because I can get that from, from your point of view, having like, lost a really high-profile fight, but knowing, <coughs> knowing you've still got some good years ahead of you. But that's, that's seven or eight years out of the ring. That's quite yeah, unusual, that, isn't it? Well, it is. It's very unusual. Um, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that I'm not doing that in, in eight years' time. But um, <laughs> yeah. you never know. I, yeah. Like you said, I think, I think fighters have a... A strange mentality and they want to believe that they can fight forever and it's you probably think you still can up until a point where you actually get beat in a fight and you realize i can't anymore that's a it's a difficult you need that's when you need to have good people around you saying that do actually you're you're done what's yeah. really sad is you know danny williams officially hung him up we, we hope for the last time last year yeah i can remember meeting him at 14 15 at highbury and got a picture of both in the arsenal shirts yeah and thinking crikey it was must have been a couple of years after we beat tyson and to, to think that half my life later he's only just hung him up to put it's his mad. daughters through private school when it's, it's admirable but mm. it's the equivalent of you boxing now until you're 45 to put carla and rossa yeah. through uni yeah it's mad isn't it yeah, it is. It's just something I can't really imagine doing. But, you know, people like Danny Williams, who would get a lot of stick, especially on social media and stuff, you have to think of the reasons why he's doing it and, and give him give him credit because um, he, he definitely deserves it. Because fighters these days are becoming more savvy in terms of planning an exit strategy from the sport, yourself included, looking at media roles and other things you can do after boxing, whether it's community projects. I suppose they're becoming savvy because of the lessons that we learn from fighters like... Danny Williams, who of course your dad trained, by the way. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and like I, I remember him as a kid growing up, and he was in some 
big fights, obviously the fight with Tyson, he boxed Klitschko. And yeah, it's just sad to see him just keep going on all these years later. Pretty much like Roy Jones Jr. Roy Jones, as well. Exactly. Oh, man, yeah. yeah, he's like one of the greatest fighters of all time. And, you know, there's fighters that he's boxing that, that can't even do his bootlaces up. Yeah. And it's just really sad to see. And, and that's the problem. You don't want to be remembered for those later years when you've had so many like Roy Jones or Bernard Hopkins, who I suppose is probably the one exception to the rule yeah. in terms of longevity. But there's, but there's not many like Bernard Hopkins, no. Roy Jones. If, if Roy Jones had retired after uh, John Ruiz, I think that would have been ideal and perfect but he's went on he's been he's fighting in Latvia against guys you've never heard of and it's just it's a bit it's sad to see um, for a couple of reasons because he's a he's a legend and he was pound for pound one of one of the best fighters of all time you have to say that like he was a quality fighter but he's just tarnishing that legacy. Hmm. And I've got a saying, Roy Jones Jr., glove in my house. Yeah. This is depreciating every time he fights <laughs> on. So yeah. He needs to stop. Um, let's talk about James. Potentially a do-or-die fight for him this. And I think there's a big chance that this might be the last time we see him on mm. Saturday, win or lose. Yeah, it possibly can be because he's at a stage in his career now where he wants the big fights. Um, and if... If the fights ain't out there that tick all of his boxes, he 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 will walk away. He said, "I don't need boxing no more. Like I've, I'm doing it because I'm enjoying the sport again." He sort of got in a bit of a rut after where he was getting a lot of injuries, and he's just like, "This is hard work." Because he had to, in those in those rebuild years after the first Groves loss, he had um, Gilmore's groin, didn't he? That's right. Yeah. Just for people that don't know, because quite a common sort of football injury that I think. That's right. It? Yeah. So I think like Theo Walcott has had it. And uh, he he had this Gilmore's groin, and he was like, "God, this this pain is like killing me." And the surgeon said to him, "You know, when we've opened when we opened you up, there was there's three layers of like muscle like around this area." And they said the first bit of muscle had just completely like disintegrated. They said the second bit was like mashed up, and the third bit had been completely detached from the bone. Jeez. And they just said, "How oh, you've even boxed with that?" They said, "You wouldn't have been able to play football with that." So the fact that you've even had a fight with it, they said, "If you got hit on that, mate, you'd have just." Folded in half because the pain would have been unbelievable. I can remember him saying to me, "This is this is back then." He said, "Once once this surgery is is healed up, he'll be he'll be a different animal." And when it did, you said to me, "You'll start to see his punch power now." Yeah. And then the next two fights was was Wembley when he chinned Brandon Gonzalez in four. That's right. Then it was Paraban in Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. Because Groves boxed. Uh, Dennis Duglin that night, That's who's right, of course yeah. he's been the, the sparring partner. He was at the gym last week when we went down there. Yeah, um, American guy, That's and I true. guess that's the Nate Vasquez connection, isn't that's it? That's right. Well? Yeah, they I think were he's the, brought him over. Yeah, the Mayweather gym together. Um, but James has had quite a few injury problems, not least in the the Badu Jack fight, which I think is kind of documented, but people don't talk about it a lot. Mm. But he threw something like seven jabs in that fight. That's right. And still, seven jabs in 12 rounds. And still got a draw. With a quality fighter, yeah. yeah. Yeah, with a very good fighter. And and it was only really snatched away from him at the last minute. Yeah. But talk, talk to me about the situation with the IBF at that point, because they're very strict on enforcing those mandatories and they don't let you off the hook. And if you are in a, in a position where you've got an injury, they, they, they're not really... Quite not really great with exceptions. That's so, right. what was the position he was in after the Jack fight, leading it up to Caleb Truax? So, after the Jack fight, his shoulder was was really playing him up, and uh, there was a, there was actually talks of James fighting Callum Smith in the July in the summer because um, he was mandatory for the for Badu Jack. Of course, it ended in a draw, mm. so Jack kept his title, James kept his title, and I think Smith was getting messed about with the WBC a bit. So, I think he was going to 
take the fight with um, with James, and for whatever reason it never never happened. And then he thought, I've got to get this shoulder sorted, man. It's just playing me out. Had his shoulder done, and they said when they uh, was doing the surgery, they said I think he had a hundred and eighty degree tear in his rotator cuff. His AC joint in his shoulder like needed restabilizing, so it, it needed to be like anchored like back into place. And then they were saying that was wrong with the back of it as well. So he had again three operations in one. And uh, the doctor said to him, "Listen, James, you're going you're to need a year to eighteen months off of boxing." And he was like, "No, no, no, I'm not like anyway." Well, with, with mandatories, that's just not going to be possible. Yeah. yeah. Then got the uh, the IBF was obviously saying, "Listen, you need to defend your belt, or you've got to give it up." So he boxed Truax in the December, which is I think five or six months after the surgery. Mm. And they, that, the doctor told him a year to eighteen months, and he just said, "I just knew as soon as I got in there, like." properly and started trying to let the shots go i just it just weren't me and i just thought i've made a big mistake here Blimey. and then obviously the rest is history truex went and got the win on points and then from there james was like do i call it a day and he was like do you know what i've not done myself a service here because i know in myself i got in there injured so the ibf then come back and said look you can have the rematch but it's the latest you can have it is i think it was the 9th of april uh last year so they said, if it goes past that date, we're just going to go down the line. So you either take it or you don't. So frustrating. So he's gone, I've got to take it, right? Mm. So that was the December, January, February, March. It's only like three, four months later, he said, trust me, I just need to be that little bit better and I'll beat Truex. I still won't be 100% because it still wouldn't have even been a year since I had the surgery. But I know, just give me that three or four months and, I, and I'll beat him, right? So he's gone out there, trained all through it. Got, was much better still weren't right but he was just bit down and just it weren't a classic James DeGale performance it was rough and head clashes and it t- it was a fight rather than him showing his skill and being in a in a boxing match it turned into a fight and he just grinded it out just grinded the win out then he's had a good bit of time off he's had a nice rest let all the injuries reheal boxed in a little eight rounder in September yeah. and said you know I feel different class course we're here now with a fight with uh, Eubank Jr. I reckon do you think Eubank would have taken a lot away from those last two fights? I think a lot of people have. Yeah. Without knowing the backstory and the injuries and, and how, how severe they were, people look at it and, and I'm 32, what age is James? 33? He's 33. Yeah, so um, they'll be looking at his age and the last couple of performances without really knowing behind the scenes, so they'll just, they'll just know by what they're seeing and they'll be looking at that and thinking maybe he's on the slide, but if you're saying that the shoulder is, is fine, then potentially we could see the best see ever the James, James DeGale, DeGale yeah. there's ever been, and I which think, is very exciting. I think that's a big reason why the Eubanks has took this fight as well. He can say it ain't, but as you said, Cole, people, not just the Eubanks, but the public are looking, thinking, God, I remember when James was smashing Gonzalez mm. and Paraban and Darrell and all these boys looking unreal. Then all of a sudden, you don't go from like there to there, like, yeah. Oh, like overnight big fights are easier to make when people think they've seen vulnerabilities I, I'm certain of that and um, you're proof of it yeah I am and, and I think that it's it could be a similar situation here with James so it's a blessing it could be a blessing in this yeah, case for we're, him. we're here now so yeah. the fight's on not long to wait now I mean there's elements of it that are sort of stupid in the sense of fighting when you know you're really injured, but also admirable in the sense that you know how, how horrible it is to be stripped of a belt that, that you've won Ryan Burnett of course in the same position 
Um, so you have to admire the fact that he was willing to take that on. But that night at the Copper Box was a, a strange one. I can remember being there and I was sat with Lawrence Acoli and we went, after six rounds, he went, he's got to do something because he was laying on the ropes. Yeah. And Truex was just all over him and there was nothing. For, for you, obviously, you've been to the high, the, the, the mountaintop, you know, when he beat Darrell for, for the title and what an amazing night that must have been. But then the night where your fighter loses the title, that's got to be really tough. Oh, it was horrible, mate, because it's, in football terms, it's it's almost like you're beating, like, the Barcelonas, the Real Madrids, and then you're losing to, like, an Everton. And I don't mean that to, like... Saldigo, what you want to say. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like, how can you beat all these boys, and then, no disrespect to Truex, just box him at home in England, in your own backyard, mm. and just completely just not turn up? So it was a really, like upsetting time and uh on that sound i was in i was out i was just with a few of the boys like just we was down the pub and i'm not a big drinker and i was having a few beers i just remember sitting in this pub thinking i can't believe it phone goes boom the rematch and it comes straight up that was it your heart rate put, goes up put, put the pint down <laughs> back put in the, the pint gym down, straight out of the pub and back home <laughs> wow yeah. yeah it was emotional for you and Jamie wasn't it when you when you lost to Josh in, in December yeah it was well. it was very emotional for us all I remember the change rooms after it was very very somber and um, I in my head I was out finished Frank Warren came in and actually you know, promoters got a lot of stick, but he was he was very sincere, and um, he wished me well, and he said he was going to back me, whatever I decided to do. And people, Tommy Coyle was crying in the corner somewhere, and yeah, it's, it's emotional. But when you're invested in it, it's a full team, and it's it's like a, you know, the, your team become your family really, and you're around them more than you're around your own parents or. In my case, I'm around my team more. I'm around my own kids and, mm. my, and my wife, and and it's got to be the same for G- James. You've had a great relationship, and, yeah. and he's been with you from st- the start. From day dot, yeah. And yeah. so, when did he? T- what age were you when he turned pro? You were only I would a kid. Have been, I'd have been eighteen when he turned it's pro. Pretty young. Yeah, so, I'd have been eighteen. He was yeah. twenty. He was twenty. He turned. He signed the pro contract at twenty-two, but I think he had his first fight at twenty-three. So yeah, yeah, nearly te- yeah, ten years ago. Crikey, that's insane, isn't it? It's mental, isn't it? It's decade. Man. Uh, speaking of which, big news uh, a week ago, Joshua Miller signed for uh, for June in New York. Tommy Coyle, yeah, I think there's possibility he's on the undercard of that. Yeah. Certainly, he's looking looking to to kind of fix that. Um, will you go out there for that with him? Do you think? Potentially, I. Tommy's a good friend of mine. He supports me, so I'll be out supporting Tommy. And I suppose I'll probably be in a camp for my own fight. I'm imagining if I do fight, it'll be around July, August. So. I'll be training, and if Jimmy Moore's out there, I'll need to be with him, and that's a good excuse to go to New York. Is there, is there any specific place? Well, of course it is, yeah, I'll see you there. Um, <laughs> is there any specific place you, you guys base yourselves when you're out there? You no, we, to- we moved around. Um, there's a guy called Anthony Canazari who's involved with the Barclays Centre, um, and he looks after us, and, and he gets his gym. So we, we, we're all over the place. We're in different gyms. Um, what's Gleason's is a really famous gym in New York. It's, I hate it. Very commercially, it's not <laughs> yeah. not a place to go to. Just very, very commercially. So, um, but I'll be I'll be back out there. 
Good stuff. Um, guys, we'll pick this up uh, in just a few moments' time. You're listening to TKO on Joe together with 32 Red, Chris Lloyd and Carl Frampton with Jimmy MacDonald Jr. Um, first up, here's a quick word from Alex Payne, James Haskell and our team from the House of Rugby. Chris, thank you very much indeed. It's just a moment or two for us to duck in and tell you about the House of Rugby. We're into show 18 or 19 with James Haskell and Mike Tindall. Show 17, I'm told by producer Cy. We're having a lot of fun. What are we trying to do with the show? Why should people be watching and listening? <laughs> <laughs> we are Tracy trying to mix going, up. It's, this is going into another show so that people come and watch us. Oh, uh, hello, everyone. Say hello to nice people. Right. Well, we should basically watch House of Rugby because it's unbelievable humour. We don't talk about any rugby. Uh, and we give you the inside track from people who are still actually involved in rugby, not old 60-year-olds who don't know anything. Good. Tens, your views? Yeah, You've offended I, all the Irish. You've offended uh, well, most ba- of the clubs. Basically, we try and offend anyone who possibly works against the English. So the Irish have been hit hard. Um, we're just building up to the Welsh, and then we're going to finish off by... Fucking putting down the Scottish, yeah. That's Good my mother in law as well. So just perfect. want to reiterate we are a family show, despite the thirty second trail including there we go. Uh, <laughs> you can download us via YouTube, you can no you can, you can as you can tell we're a very professional outfit. You can watch <laughs> us via YouTube and download us via iTunes. I hope you'll join us at some point. It's a lot of fun really. Thanks, guys. We'll remember you can download House of Rugby and listen to it now. The episode with Joe Marler is available online. Well, you're listening to and watching TKO uh, with me, Chris Lloyd and Carl Frampton on Joe Together with Thirty Two Red. Um, okay, back with you, gents. Let's get stuck into the tactics for the fight on Saturday. Um, a possible change for you, Bank, obviously working with Nate Vasquez now. Have you been sort of keeping an eye on, on the sort of videos he posts a lot on social media? And do you see any changes from, from the last three or four years? Um, he says that he's listening, but um, I've seen a few just clips on YouTube and stuff. Uh, he's obviously doing things specific to a southpaw um, but he's doing things specific to a southpaw and then he's getting in the ring with someone who's won Olympic gold medal two world titles he's a different no one can emulate what James DeGale brings he's so awkward mm. and hard to fight because Dennis Douglas is small compact yeah. and he's quite aggressive as well he's a different sort of southpaw different sort I was of very surprised with that choice of sparring partner when I seen him last week and I don't want to be speaking out of turn here and talking about sparring, but you've, it's been it's known that he's sparring that guy, and he's five foot ten, something, yeah. yeah, a little stocky mm. southpaw, not really similar mm. to James at mm. all, really. Someone like a Cody Davis would be good, kind of slightly awkward back foot. That's right, yeah. like quite big as well, because James is quite big, super middleweight, he's a big too. boy, yeah, he's so a big boy. It, it would it would make sense, but I guess. You know, it's their it's their choice at the end of the day who they have in. But I guess the question is, does a leopard ever change its spots? Because we think of Eubank Jr. as a young man. He's thirty now. He'll be thirty this year, rather. Um, is he capable of of making the adjustments at this stage of his career? I don't know. I think we'll find out a lot on Saturday night. There's going to be a lot of um, questions to be answered. But it's a point where um, you know we spoke to his dad last week, and 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 he said that. When he was making these big statements about him being the second coming of Mayweather and stuff, he said it was because he was the stuff he was seeing in the gym, and he's seen him like, you know, beating up Groves and 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 sparring really well. But he doesn't listen and he doesn't put it into action on fight night. So mm. he needs to change something because there is a big hype about him. But as of yet, he hasn't lived up to it. Have you ever spoken to Eubank Senior? Have interest? Do you know what? There's actually a story. He won't remember this, but I do. I must have been about 12 or 13 and uh, my dad used to be in the same stable as him when they was like professionals under the matchroom banner and uh, he rung my dad out of the blue one day and was like oh you know Jim Jim Ski he calls him Jim Ski 
and was like uh, asking about everything, like as the family, as your kids. And he was like, yeah, yeah, all good, Chris. He was like, Is, are they there? So, of course, I was only young. I was just sitting in the front <laughs> For room a short straw So they've gone, <laughs> he's gone, here, Jay, like, Eubanks wants to talk to you. And I, I, at the time, I, I only knew him as the guy with the monocle that drove the big truck on TV. So I've gone on, on the phone and I was like, like, hello? And then he's, I just remembered the conversation. Bit, I remember being on the phone for about 15 minutes and he was just t- talking to me about life and the <laughs> ethics of life and how to be, 11 how, to, how to be a man and, sure you, yeah, and like, not only just in like, you've got Sonic the Hedgehog on pause <laughs> yeah. and he's like telling you about, yeah, just, just like, yeah, it was like not even <laughs> boxing related, but it was almost like he, he, Eubank Senior says that you need to take like a beating in life to, to really come, like come from back and dad. come strong, not from my old man, but just in, I think just in everything, I could be in a school playground. Hasn't even done his 11 plus and he's getting all this. I haven't even set me, me GCSEs. Oh, but um, yeah, I remember the conversation fairly well, but he won't remember it. I, I'm pretty sure of that. And uh, I remember just coming off the phone thinking, what wow, has just happened? What has just happened? I've just had a 15 minute <laughs> conversation with Chris Eubank. Because well, we were yeah. in the car after the interview last week and there was sort of silence for about a minute and then Carl just went, what the hell just happened there? <laughs> and I thought, wasn't bad. What did you reckon? Yeah, it was right. It's a good accent. That, that was good, that, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, not bad. He's got like, yeah. Got a few in the locker. <laughs> um, it was, it was like, it was as much as, as, as an interview. It was more like a lecture last week. Yeah. Do you think that? Yeah, well, that's what it felt like. But he's, he's a, he's a, a big personality and I think that's what, what we expected. But I think it was brilliant. That's yeah. the first time I've, I've you know, really, spoke to Chris Eubank I've, I've been a, around him at like awards nights and stuff on a couple of occasions I think I've shook his hand maybe once or twice but I've never actually spoken to him so mm-hmm. um, I I was very nervous last week but I enjoyed it and he's he's a character certainly yeah well I mean he'll be presumably in the corner somewhere um, on Saturday night I mean whether he's going to be sort of standing over Junior like he has done so many times but, but do you think there's, do you think he's more of a, a hindrance than a help? And do you think he has been more of a hindrance than a help? Um, I don't really know because it might work for Chris Junior. I don't really know how they sort of like get on with each other. But he's always been around him his whole career. Yeah. And in the build-up to this one, he's not really been around yeah, a lot. Said. So it's, it feels... if You, you certainly know, notice that he's missing. But obviously he's back now. And um, he'd be, I'm sure he'd be around somewhere. But at, sorry, at some stage, I'm sure... If the fight's not going his way or whatever, he'll, I don't know, yeah, have to give him a bit of advice or whatever. But at some stage, I think he will be involved. There's similarities between the dad and the son in that they both talk a lot. But the dad backed it up and he was in some amazing fights and some real wars as mm-hmm. well where he had to dig himself out of holes and, and he won. The son talks, but he's yet to... He's yet to do that yet. He looks really good against certain type of opposition. That classic Eastern European, quite heavy-footed, not a lot of head movement, and mm. durable guys. But uh, the ones he's come unstuck against have been the movers and the thinkers. Yeah. And we know what James is. I mean, tactically, the last thing you want to get stuck doing is, is laying on the ropes. Because if he boxes like he did against Truax in the first fight, it's going to be a really gruelling yeah, night for James. That. <laughs> so, So... Is the plan to, to keep on the move? Plan is to just be James DeGale. Just be James DeGale, box, do things that won you an Olympic gold medal and two world titles. Mm. And, you know, that should be more than enough. 
if James is still near his best to, to beat Chris Eubank Jr. Do you reckon? Um, I think it's a very, very intriguing fight. I'm going to show you a text message I just sent to a guy. Just so you don't think I'm bullshitting. Okay. Um, oh, no, oh, I'll be yeah. looking at that. Don't move on. Name on no ways. Right, David Kelly, and he's a journalist from the Belfast Telegraph. Um, I've changed my mind. I'm going to say the Gale points even before I've spoken to Jimmy Mack. Yeah. There that's you pretty are. cool. So that's that's my go. prediction. There you go. Yeah. And it must be kind of quietly satisfying because I think. And the one thing we need to talk about, of course, is that sparring story. Because, listen, we've heard both sides of the story of when they sparred. I remember speaking to Eubank Jr. about it probably a year after it happened. Um, you were there. And I know you to be an honest guy. There's the one thing I do know that you are. So let's talk about what happened that day in, in sparring. It's uh, quite an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, he's he, he come down, but he's 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 been he's been around and sparred with everyone, uh, Jr., isn't he? So he come down one day and... Uh, he come in the gym and he he's very sort of like zoned in. He he don't really speak to no one. He, he was doing his own thing, and uh, the spa was delayed because Senior was late. Funny enough, and uh, <laughs> he had to we had to wait for Senior to come. So the spa started, and uh, listen, it was just a just a spa. Eight there was rounds, no, right? So we'd agreed on eight. <laughs> then after five, I think Ronnie Davis said, "Listen, one more and, and that'll do." Of course, James kicked up a fuss and said, no, we've agreed on eight. We're doing eight rounds. No, 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 that's it. Six to do. So Senior, to his credit, went, no, you've agreed to do eight. So you, you're doing eight rounds. So they've completed the spa. And uh, that was it. It was like one of them ones, just sort of half touch gloves, boom. So Junior's got out of the ring. And my dad said, right, chunk, we're just going to do two rounds pads, two rounds shadow, then boom. Done your, done your 12 rounds then. No problem. So he starts on the pads and all of a sudden, I don't know whether he was told to do it, but Junior's come back to the ring and you know how he gets in the ring, he jumps over the top ropes. He's jumped over the top rope into the ring whilst James is doing his pad work. <laughs> and I just remember thinking at the time, yeah, this ain't going to go down too well. Yeah. So James has basically told him to... Was this at Stonebridge? No, this was uh, in Loughton. Was he on um, his own? Junior? Yeah. No, he was there with, uh, I think his brother was there, his dad was there. And when he, when he came there. back in? Oh, when he, so he was, everyone was still in the gym, but he jumps into the ring like right, okay. on, on his own. And James basically told him to, you know, get out of the ring. And he ignored James, he just carried on doing what he was doing. He was just sort of like shadow boxing and walking about, whatever. So James has asked him again to get out of the ring. Of course, he's ignored him again. From there, he's walked over to him. I thought, it's going to go off here. Then next thing, Ronnie Davis has got up and just said to him, out, get out of the ring. So he's walked over, just got out of the ring, and that was it. He left the gym and went on Twitter and said that he'd schooled James DeGale. And yeah, that's what got everyone talking, really. Yeah. So it feels like he's been setting this up for about seven years. But I guess he's he, a man with a plan. He is a man with a plan. And you have to respect that. But I suppose there's also a code of ethics around sparring that you know you don't really talk about it in public and that's a kind of agreed code of ethics yeah. amongst boxers and if you do talk about it then you sort of break that code right yeah i would agree with that um i certainly don't go around spreading sparring stories but um yeah it happens and and everything seems to get exaggerated as well so you never really there's there's two sides and then there's the truth as well you know what i mean I, I remember i could tell you an interesting story about me sparring i sparred john simpson 
um, I might not have had a pro fight yet, maybe one or two up in up in Scotland. He was British champion at the time. Um, and he hit me a shot, dropped me, but it was like a hand touched the ground. I got back up. I remember looking around and Barry McGuigan was there and I went, that's never happened before. You know, like, carry on with Spar, I'm fine. Billy Nelson, um, I think they get one up on me. After the round was over, that's enough for you today, kid. You've had enough as if it was taking some sort of pounding, <laughs> yeah, but it was fine. Got out anyway. So that, from me touching down, has turned into um, me getting carried out of a of a ring Fucking in hell. a stretcher. What? Because John Simpson flattened me. That's just that's how that's how much things get exaggerated. So um, it's happened. Like you, this is just you know, when Eubanks just finished the spar and he's already tweeting it. That's an extreme case yeah. of it. But whispers get exaggerated all the time. Hmm. But at least it's it, it's obviously what he's dining out on and what he's building this fight off, even if you guys know that there's something different has actually happened. Um, he, he, just before you go on, yeah. in his mind, although you know what, what happened and he's tweeting something different, through time, like it, things change. So in his head, he may have actually thought that he beat up the gill you know <laughs> what I mean mad, yeah. mad, so um, he might be getting confidence from something that never you happened you never know you never know <laughs> mm. he, I think he's a, I think he's so in his own world and just so I mean you, he'll never ever admit that um, he lost to Billy Joe Saunders or, or George Groves like even when he gets asked about the question now he just diverts around it every which way he, he can't bring himself to say the words that, mm. yeah, I lost the fight, fair and square. That's it. Because introspection is one of the most important <laughs> things once you've lost a fight, presumably, because you need to learn from what you didn't do to make adjustments to know how to improve. But if you can't have that introspection and you can't even admit that you've lost fights, how can you be expected to, to improve, right? That's now? right. What would you do with him if you were... If you were coaching, if you, say, if, you, say if you got hold of him three or four years ago, and, and putting aside the fact that he, he doesn't listen, technically, what are the things that you would want him to, to work on? I would say think? I don't think he's got the best defence, if I'm being honest. I think he's fairly easy to hit. I think, um, I think he struggles with his feet. I think his feet are one of his worst attributes, mm. really. Um, whether he's worked on that in training camp, I don't know. Um, he's got a brilliant mindset because he believes in himself. Um, he's obviously got a good good engine. He's fit. He's strong. Um, but yeah, probably just the the defensive work and, and the footwork drills. Really, like I think he lacks in in the, them the areas. Dad never had great feet either. He had terrible feet actually coming forward. He was all over the place. If he had to go forward, but he found a way to win. Um, I think a lot of people make out the, and talk about Eubanks' engine, which he, he certainly got a big engine. But he doesn't fight like he has a big engine. Mm. He fights in spurts for mm. rounds. He doesn't fight. A full three minutes of a round. Yeah. Goes for little walks. Yeah, and it, it's it's kind of, if you've got a big engine, you need to use it. Yeah. One of the things that get James is guilty of, you and I spoke about this the other day, it's not a criticism, just an observation. He sometimes, when, when he's in sort of cruise control, between like seven and nine, he has a little switch off. Mm. Have you noticed that? And have you guys ever sort of talked about that? We share him all the time. <laughs> Do you? He, um, I mean, the Darrell fight's a perfect example. Yeah. Won the first five or six rounds with two knockdowns in, in the second round. So he's near enough seven, eight rounds up going into the second half of the fight and basically nearly switched off for the, for the, for the remainder of the fight. Yeah. And Darrell was clawing it back, clawing it back, clawing it back, and then he finished strong for the last two and uh, won it on points, yeah. What is it? Does he, has he ever sort of been able to explain it? Is he just... 
Do you know what? I think, like, I don't even think it's just with boxing. I think if it was when he was at school, when he was doing, if he's doing any <laughs> type of work, if he was here, his concentration has just never been the best. Yeah. Like, and you've got to keep on him all the time. Chunk, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'll do that, I'll do that. But sometimes if it's, I don't want to say, but if it's, if he feels like it's too easy for him in there, then he gets, starts to get a little bit lazy and a little bit complacent. But uh, he can't afford to do that. Are you saying he's a dunderhead? Am I saying he's a... He's a dunderhead? What's he's that? a dunderhead. But daft. Oh, he's mad. No, but simple. <laughs> no, he's not simple. He's just... He's, <laughs> it, James is mad in his own way. Like, yeah. he, he'd do things where you go... Oh, has he done that? <laughs> that is James. Yeah. So if Chris is to have any sort of foothold in the fight, it could just be after slightly after the midway point, you reckon? I think he'll have patches of, of success in the fight. When they'll come, I don't know, but I can't see him having lots and lots of success, really. Mm. I think I think it'll be... The rounds he'll, like, he'll probably win will be the rounds where he'll just be forcing and sticking and trying to work away. There'll be scrappy rounds, but I think the rounds where James will win will be the rounds where he'll clearly just like beat him on just sheer ability. So what is your prediction then for Saturday? I think James DeGale beats him unanimously on points yeah I'm looking forward to this so am I yeah um, last week we did a 32 second challenge with 32 red for Chris Eubank Senior didn't yeah. last for 32 seconds as yeah. I'm sure you've seen yeah. we, got a, we got a sort of two minute explanation on dandyism <laughs> Carl's, Carl's vocabulary is doing this at the moment <laughs> um, but we are going to hopefully get it in with, within the 32 seconds with 32 red with Jimmy Mack Jr um, are you ready I'm ready. It's a quick word association game. So you saw it last word, week. Just right? one word, yeah. One word. I'm going to say a word. You're going to say the first thing you think of. Yeah. Dandyism. Yeah. <laughs> clueless. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so, glad, I'm so glad last week's over. Um, all right. We're going, to start, we're going to start the clock. James DeGale. Class. George Groves. Good fighter. Two words. Darrell. Classy. World titles. <laughs> uh, achievement. Caleb Truax. Stinker. Defeat. Guide. Eubank Junior. Deluded. Eubank Senior. Bonkers. This Saturday night. A win. Retirement. Possibly. Carl Frampton. Good fire. Good. Uh, <laughs> future. Uh, future. Um, successful. I think that'll do. Yeah. Very, very nice. That's nice. We can actually cut that down into a Snapchat story, unlike last week. The Carl Frampton um, one could have went... One of two ways there, so yeah. I like the way you looked at you. I was getting yourself. Then come out I just with a good. But you could feel my eyes burning into <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> if you uh, it was to sort of give Carl any advice, the situation he's currently in, obviously three-time two-weight world champion, lost a, a very high-profile fight at it's thirty-one years of age. Where do you go from there? What advice do you offer a fighter in Carl's position? Um, really, Carl's just he knows within himself, like. He knows what he wants to do. He know he'll know how much he's he's got in him, uh, ready f- like for the, for his future or whatever. But um, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's all within himself because if you if you've not got that in you no more, if that fire's not burning, then the best thing you can do is to just to get out. But um, from speaking to him, I think uh, I think the fire's still burning. But he's been someone I've watched and you know admired for for years now. He's a brilliant fire, and uh, it's a hard question. Considering I'm sitting here, I know. But yeah. you said something about James isn't fighting for money anymore. He's fighting because he's, he's, he's like he's boxing. something to prove, and he's he's enjoying boxing. And I'm in the same boat. Yeah, exactly the same boat. I'm really enjoying it now. Although we lost my last fight, but um, there's still 
plenty left I think and I'm hoping it's the same for James as well yeah well very good luck to you on, on, on Saturday Jim thanks Chris, so much for coming thanks, on mate. mate appreciate Talk it Carl as thanks, always Jeff. thanks for your good time on. and happy birthday mate enjoy the rest of your, thanks, uh, your day we're going to get some lunch shall we Let's Good do stuff. it. Uh, well, you've been listening to and watching TKO round three here on Joe Together with 32 Red. Many thanks to Jimmy McDonald Jr. Uh, good luck to you on Saturday night. We'll thanks, be back mate. in seven days' time. Catch us on all the normal social media channels. We'll see you in a week. Joe presents TKO Together with 32 Red.